I invite you to open your Bibles with me once again to the prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 13. It's been a couple of weeks since we studied Jeremiah together, but I'm hoping you remember the general gist of it. Jeremiah has been a bit of a broken record about a broken covenant. He was sent to proclaim to the people of Judah and Jerusalem that judgment and exile was coming because of their unfaithfulness. Sadly, unfaithful Judah was going to be uprooted. And Jeremiah 13 is more of the same kind of bad news. If anything, it is more depressing and more disturbing than anything we've read in Jeremiah so far. It ends with some shocking imagery that alludes to sexual assault in a time of war. I'll warn you ahead of time in case you've had bad experiences and this kind of language can set off alarm bells in your nervous system. It's not pretty. Jeremiah 13 is not pretty. Jeremiah 13 is not a happy chapter. And yet at the very same time when we read the darkness of Jeremiah 13, it can light up for us the gospel of Jesus Christ because it throws it into stark relief. It's the opposite. Whatever we see that Judah did wrong, we know that Jesus undoes. And everything that Judah was supposed to be, yet failed, Jesus makes true of you and me. Let me say that again. Everything that Judah was supposed to be, Jesus makes true of you and me. So this is a perfect passage of Scripture to study on a baptism Sunday. Because Because everything that it says that went wrong, we know is fixed by what the water up there represents. Including the searching question in the very last verse of Jeremiah 13, which says, Woe to you, O Jerusalem! How long will you be unclean? It must have been really weird to be a prophet, right? It must have been really strange to live the life of an Old Testament prophet like Ezekiel or Jeremiah. Not only do you have to be a broken record about a broken covenant, but you never know when the Lord might give you a really weird prophetic assignment like this one. In Jeremiah 13, Jeremiah was sent to buy a piece of clothing to represent the people of God. The Lord sends him on a shopping trip. Look at Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 1. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist, but do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt as the Lord directed and put it around my waist. Okay. Like I said, weird, right? And one of the things that's really weird about this story is that we're not 100% sure exactly what kind of a piece of clothing this was and whether you could get it at Kohl's. It's hard to translate this from the Hebrew. It's really hard to know if this garment is one that goes under your other clothing or over your other clothing. Some of your translations might say undergarment or underwear or loincloth. Those are under your other clothing. 
Obviously, the NIV goes for linen belt, which would be over your other clothing. And it's hard to say which kind this actually is. We're going to see as the passage goes on that it emphasizes how close and tight it's supposed to fit around Jeremiah's waist. So that would lend itself to the undergarment theory and emphasize intimacy, under armor, so to speak. Some translations actually go for shorts. But the passage also emphasizes the overt display of God's people to be for God's renown and God's praise and God's honor. And that seems like this linen garment is being shown off in a way. It's on display. It's a prophetic sign, which if it's hiding under Jeremiah's clothes, it's hard to see how that could be a sign. So I lean towards the outer garment theory, but I think it's more than just a little belt. When I see linen belt, I think of this little thin thing like I'm wearing here right? I think it's more than that. It's not showy enough. It's more like a sash or like a decorative outer garment that fits snugly around the waist and maybe holds tools or even weapons like a tool belt or a sword belt. Jonathan, you for many years have been a lineman climbing up and cutting limbs off of trees. Tool belt for that? All right. You ever go without it? No, sir. All right. I think it's like that maybe. But it's maybe decorative. And because linen was the fabric of the priests, it might have held instruments of sacrifice for the temple or marked somebody off as holy. I think it really stood out. We don't know. But we do know that Jeremiah was told to buy it, wear it, and not wash it. And then it gets really weird. Jeremiah is told to go bury it, to bury his snazzy new piece of clothing. Look at verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist and go now to Parath and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. So I went and hid it at Parath as the Lord told me. (laughs) You think it might have been a little weird to be a prophet in the Old Testament? It's especially weird when you find out where Parath was. Anybody know? Somewhere near Anatoth. That's a good guess. And in fact, many biblical scholars think it was. There's this place called Para, which was about four miles away from Jeremiah's hometown of Anatoth. Many scholars think that that might have been a nickname for Para. Parath Para. You can see the connection there. But whenever this word parath shows up in the Old Testament and it's coupled with the word river, it's always referring to the Euphrates River, which was like 350 miles away. And they didn't have cars. Anybody walk here 350 miles one direction? Get there, do an errand, and then walk 350 miles back home? I think that might be what the Lord has just asked Jeremiah to do. The Lord has sent Jeremiah on a many-month journey just to bury his clothes in some rocks by a river. And then to come home on a many-month journey to his hometown and no longer be wearing his flashy new belt. That might have become the talk of the town. First off, it's the talk of the town that Jeremiah is running around with this flashy new belt. And then he was away for months. And he comes back 
and no belt. What's Jeremiah doing now? First he buys that thing, he wears it everywhere, he never washed it. So it started to get dirty and a little brittle. And then he was gone all that time and now he says Yahweh told him to bury it at Perath. What is going on? Might have been a little fun to be a prophet sometimes when things get weird. And then it gets even weirder. What do you think is next? Buy another belt? Nope. Go find the first one. Verse 6. Many days later, the Lord said to me, go now to Perath and get the belt I told you to hide there. Okay. So I went to Perath and dug up the belt. By this time, it's silted over, right? He knows where he put it. Maybe he has a flag. I don't know how he finds the thing. He, he digs it out. But now it was, anybody surprised by this? Ruined and completely useless. If there was one key word for Jeremiah chapter 13, I think it would be the word ruined. This piece of garment had rotted. It had spoiled. It had been corrupted. It had, very predictably, decayed. It was, in the words of Jeremiah, completely useless. It was good for nothing. It was ruined. And I wonder if Jeremiah was now supposed to wear it around town. doesn't say. Maybe he couldn't even wear it. Maybe it would just fall off. Too full of holes. Wouldn't cling any longer. It didn't fit. It had shriveled and shrunk. It was ruined. Now, what do you think that that belt stands for? We don't have to wonder. Jeremiah tells us. Look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. There goes their greatness. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt, completely useless. Broken record again. The linen garment stood for the people of Judah. They had gone to form ungodly alliances with the people who lived in Mesopotamia near the Euphrates River. They had made alliances with Assyria. They were trying to appease the Chaldeans of Babylon instead of trusting Yahweh. And worse, they had worshipped other gods instead of Yahweh. And they were fast becoming completely useless and ruined and headed for exile. The ruined linen garment stood for the people of Judah. Verse 11. For as a belt is bound around a man's waist, so I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. Must have been weird to be a prophet like Jeremiah. Here he is being a broken record about a broken covenant once again, but doing it this time by prominently displaying a ruined piece of cloth, a ruined piece of clothing. Now let's come back to verse 11 as the last thing we look at again before we hear Jonathan tell his story. 
Because obviously, I picked these words from that verse to be the title of this message, My People for My Renown, from verse 11. But the key word right now is not renown, but ruin. And the rest of the chapter shows just how ruined Judah was to be. Look at verse 12. Say to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Every wineskin should be filled with wine. Now, that was probably a uh, popular saying, at least in the bars, right? Everybody's like, every wineskin should be filled, filled with wine. And everybody goes, amen, fill them up. And if, I, if they say to you, don't we know that every wineskin should be filled with wine? Yeah, boy, fill them all up. Then tell them, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land. You're the wine jars. Including the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all those living in Jerusalem. I will smash them one against the other. Fathers and sons alike, declares the Lord. I will allow no pity or mercy or compassion to keep me from destroying them. Talk about ruin. They're going to be destroyed. Like a riotous bar fight where everybody is blind, drunk, smashed, the Lord is going to smash Judah from the top down and without pity, mercy, or compassion. Ruined. How ruined? Not just destroyed, but darkened. Look at verse 15. Thank you. Hear and pay attention. Do not be arrogant, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before He brings the darkness. Before your feet stumble on the darkening hills, you hope for light, but He will turn it to thick darkness and change it to deep gloom. Judgment is coming. <clears throat> like somebody who spends the night, maybe a shepherd, on a mountainside, and then the morning never comes, just more darkness, and then even more darkness. You know, the Hebrew there is the same as the 23rd Psalm, the shadow of death. Jeremiah doesn't like it one bit. He's not happy about what is coming on his beloved Judah, but if they will not humble themselves and repent, then the ruinous darkness will fall. And he will cry. Verse 17. But if you do not listen, I will weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears, because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. They don't call him the weeping prophet for nothing. And in his weeping, Jesus reve Jeremiah reveals the heart of God who would love to show mercy and compassion on Judah, but they just keep on rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him so that he must do the just thing and bring them to ruin. Even the king. Verse 18. Say to the king and to the queen mother, come down from your thrones. For your glorious crowns will ting, 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 fall from your heads. 
The cities of the Negev will be shut up and there will be no one to open them. All Judah will be carried into exile, carried completely away, uprooted. Here he's probably talking about King Jehoiachin and his mother Nehushta. We read about them in 2 Kings 24. He was Jehoiakim's son, and he only lasted three months before Nebuchadnezzar carted him off into exile, 597 B.C. And what happened to them would, by 586, happen to the whole nation. They would be uprooted and sent into exile, ruined. Verse 20, lift up your eyes and see those who are coming from the north, Babylon. Where is the flock that was entrusted to you, the sheep of which you boasted? They're gone. They're exiled. They're uprooted. What will you say when the Lord sets over you those you cultivated as your special allies? Will not pain grip you like that of a woman in labor? Ladies, is labor hurt? He says, the very people you trusted in, instead of the Lord, are now your oppressors. It hurts like labor pains. And worse. Verse 22. And if you ask yourself, why has this happened to me? Which you shouldn't, because you, you should know it by now. It is because of your many sins that your skirts have been torn off and your body mistreated. The women of Judah are being violated as they're carted off to Babylon. Yes, because of the sins of the Babylonians, and there's no excuse for them, but also because of the sins of Judah. This brutalization, too, is a judgment because Judah would not repent. It was almost like they could not repent. They could not repent. He says, verse 23, Can the Ethiopian, literally the Cushite, change his skin? Or the leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Now, now make sure you understand that he's not saying that the Cushite, probably better updated to the Sudanese, based on where Cush was located. He's not saying that the Cushite's black skin was bad. Just like the leopard's spots are not bad, they're beautiful. Black skin is beautiful skin. But it's not changeable either. It's permanent and fixed, as was Judah's evil. And therefore, so will be Judah's ruin. It was inevitable. Verse 24, I will scatter you like chaff, driven by the desert wind. This is your lot, the portion I have decreed for you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in false gods. I will pull up your skirts over your face so that your shame may be seen, your adulteries and lustful neighings, your shameless prostitution. I have seen your detestable acts on the hills and in the fields. Woe to you, O Jerusalem! How long 
will you be unclean? How long will you be ruined? How long will you be like a linen garment buried in the rocks next to a river? How long are you going to be like that? Unrepentant of your idolatry, your spiritual adultery? Every time they broke out the idols on the hilltops, Yahweh saw what they were doing. How long are you going to be like that? Unclean and therefore shamefully exposed and humiliated and darkened and smashed, destroyed. How long will you be ruined? What's the answer to that? Jeremiah 13 is kind of like a cliffhanger, isn't it? It doesn't give us the answer. In fact, there's, there's not even a hint that there is any hope. At the end of the chapter, we've got Jeremiah walking around with this rag. It used to be a beautiful sash. And we have these disturbing images which we'd rather not think about. But the rest of the Bible does give us hope. In fact, there is hope still to come in the words of Jeremiah. We haven't got there yet, but listen, for example, to Jeremiah chapter 33. I can't wait to preach Jeremiah 33 to you. Listen to this sample. The short answer to the question is, later, after the exile. The exile is now baked in. It is inevitable, but so is the return. Listen to Jeremiah 33, 7. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will, here's the word, cleanse them from all the sin they've committed against me and will forgive all their sin of rebellion against me. Then this city, Jerusalem, will bring me, listen to these words, renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Those words sound familiar to you? It's the same three words as verse 11. Renown, praise, and honor. And then it gets even better in chapter 33. We find out that there is an ultimate restoration that is even greater than that. And it involves a new and righteous ruler. Listen to chapter 33 verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord our Righteousness. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Anybody want to guess who that's going to be? Yes. It's the person who Jonathan Bobbert has decided to follow with his life. 
It's the person who lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and came back to life to give us life. What this water represents is Jonathan goes down into the water and comes back out, symbolizing that. It's the person who restores light where there was deep darkness. It's the person who restores dignity where there was deep shame. It's the person who restores health where there was smashing destruction. It's the person who restores joy where there was nothing but depression. It's the person who could save us when we could not save ourselves. It's the person who could change us when we could not change ourselves. It's Jesus Christ. He's the one who has redeemed us from our ruin for his renown. Amen? Listen to the book of Revelation. Listen to what the book of Revelation says is given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The apostle John has a vision of the return of Christ in Revelation chapter 19, and he says this, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Fine what? Do you know? Fine linen. Bright and clean was given her to wear. See, the bride of Christ doesn't wear the ruined sash. The bride of Christ wears fine linen given by Jesus himself. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. How long will we be unclean, Jeremiah asks? Just until we're covered by the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's look again at verse 11. And see what Judah was supposed to be that Jesus has made true of you and me. For as a belt is bound around a man's waist, so I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. Three very quick points of application. And Jonathan, these are for you. As they are for all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus today. Number one. Stay close to your Lord. Stay close to your Lord. He says that he bound his people to himself. They were supposed to cling to him, to stay near to him, to not wander off. I know it's weird. It's a weird image. But we're supposed to stay close to the Lord like a belt he never takes off. Like Jonathan never left his tool belt when he went up the tree. When he went up in the bucket. He never was without it. Don't wander off, he says. I I think the whole point of that weird journey to Perath was the separation between the prophet and his key piece of clothing. Don't let any daylight come between you and the Lord. Stay close to him. Number two, live for the glory of the Lord. The whole point of this weird belt was it was supposed to bring attention to the wearer. Who was the wearer? God's the wearer. The people were the belt, and God was the belt wearer. Verse 11, I bound them to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown, my praise, my honor. See, that's why we exist. That's why Jesus has saved us. 
Jonathan, this is why Jesus has saved you. To be for his fame and praise and honor. Live your life as a display of his grace. Like we learned about last week in Ephesians 2 at Family Bible Week. It is by grace we've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated it with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus to show off like artwork at an art gallery. So let's do it. Let's live our lives for his renown and praise and honor. We want Jesus to get the glory. And number three and last, praise your Lord for his amazing grace. On our own, we've ruined everything. But Jesus, through his amazing grace, has saved everything. He's taken us from our ruin to his renown. So I asked Jonathan what his favorite scripture verse was, and we've been studying the gospel of John together. And he told me that his favorite verse is John chapter 9, verse 25. It says this, One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Amen? I think that sounds like a certain worship song that we know. And I think we should sing it today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a ruined wretch like me. So Jonathan, how about you come up here and tell us your story. And then our church, through me and Curtis, will baptize you. This is Jonathan Bobbert. I think we all just call him Bobbert, right? Anybody ever call him Jonathan before? Here you go, Jonathan. All right, guys. So you obviously know who I am, and you obviously know about a year ago, next month, uh, my Uncle Pat, also known as my dad, passed away. Well, after that happened, I kind of went down a dark spell, and uh, I figured out that the dark trail is not the way I want to go, you know. I want to go down the God. I want to go down the trail with God. So um, the night that Dad passed away, I got a bottle of liquor, and I got plastered. Fell asleep on my floor. After that, I figured out that drugs and alcohol ain't the way I want to go. Um, the way I want to pursue my life is through God and following Him every step of my way and just having Him by my side and just supporting me and making sure He looks over me and just, you know, that's who I want to follow through the rest of my life. And that's the reason I asked Pastor Matt and you guys to baptize me today because um, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior for the rest of my life. And that's about where I'm at with it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Hey, um, but Jonathan... With his baptism, Jonathan is saying that he's not going to live for his ruin, but for the Lord's renown. And he and I would love for any of you to come with us on that same journey. If you have never come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to do so today. As one commentator I read this week said, if you are still unclean, then you do not need to be unclean any longer. Take all the things in your life that are soiled, spoiled, shattered, stained, and shameful, and Jesus will make them right. For as Jonathan has figured out, those who come to Christ for salvation, it is all clean linen, fine wine, broad daylight, golden crowns, and bridal gowns.